Angie has made it easier than ever to hire high-quality pros to get all your home service jobs done well. Just bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie will connect you with local pros who match your specific needs. Or book a service instantly at an upfront price. So join the millions of homeowners who use Angie to care for their homes and get your next home service job done well. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. We about to party. Unrestricted. Got the house now. We gonna turn it up. This is AEW Unrestricted, a mobile edition of it. You're for you. Yeah, yeah you're, you're back at home. Which is I'm at very, home. Weird. I know. It's, it's it's very strange here. By the way, it's Will Washington. It's Aubrey Edwards. I am currently on the road, and you're not here. You're not riffing this weekend. What is going on? No, it's it's weird. It's uh, it's. I've been very thankful for the rest of the ref team that we've we've kind of grown over time and we've been able to split time. But the time we're recording, there's a big ROH event this weekend. And uh, we've got awesome guys who work Saturday consistently that have been killing it. And to quote one Paul Turner, pay-per-views are the reason why we put in the time. Yeah. You earn that. So I was just like, I don't need to be there this weekend. Let friggin' Posey, Stefan, and Brandon kill it. It's going to be great. Um, and I don't mind sleeping in my own bed. Just going to put it out there. <laughs> but... I will say that you not being here doesn't necessarily mean that you're not busy. Oh, no. No, no, no. (laughs) (laughs) Because you have absolutely been busy. Uh, As a matter of fact, you've got some cool stuff going on right now. Yes. So at the time this releases, uh, I am literally days away from releasing another video game, technically. If you've been to an AEW live event, you've probably seen a video of Ricky Starks talking about pre-registering, pre-ordering for a various iPhone or Android app called AEW Rise of the Top. And it's actually our newest uh, mobile game. And I've been working on it for over a year now at this point. And it's really great. Uh, it's being developed by these guys, uh, Eastside Games. They're based in Vancouver. So it's really great having meetings with people in the same time zone. Like, I, I can't tell you how much I appreciate that. But they've been experts in what's called the idle game genre. If you've ever played like the Trailer Park Game Boys or any of the RuPaul Drag Race games, like they've been doing those. So they've got this down to a science. And then on top of that, the team they have involved is just so into wrestling It seems silly because you would think that like, oh, if you're making a wrestling game, you definitely are fans of wrestling. Not always a guarantee. Like sometimes you end up getting an IP that you're working with and you know nothing about. To have people that were already interested in wrestling that essentially pitched this game to AEW Games and we worked out the IP agreement. The lead writer on the game, Jamie, she's this awesome gal. uh, She graduated from Stu Hart's Dungeon. So she understands wrestling. A lot of what I do for AEW games is a lot of just like 
IP approval type stuff, like making sure that our brand is represented in the best way possible, given the the confines of whatever the media is. So I review all of the script. I rev- uh, I oversee uh, all of the art approvals, any sort of use of our logo and branding, like all of that stuff kind of has to go through me. And it's been really great reading a script and not having to completely like rewrite things because they understand character voices and how like the way Jericho says something is going to be different than the way that Britt Baker says something. And everybody has their catchphrases. It's one of those games that I've been extremely proud to work on. And we've been in test market for a couple of months, which basically means we're in smaller countries with smaller uh, user base is just kind of putting some money into advertising here and there, seeing how the game performs, being able to tweak it, change some design stuff to make it like stickier, and just make sure that when we do hit that worldwide release on January 17th, that the game performs and is as good as possible. So everybody downloading it that day has an awesome experience. And I'm just really, really excited because shipping a video game is one of the hardest things you can do. It feels like a full body experience. There's an amazing quote from this guy who does his comic, Penny Arcade, that says, no one likes to see sausage making because it's overall just like a really disgusting concept. But the idea of making a game is the process of making sausage out of yourself. (laughs) (laughs) And I've never heard something more accurate. (laughs) So so that's one of the many, many things that I've been working on. And uh, January 17th, Available on iOS and Android worldwide. You can download AEW Rise to the Top. Wow. No, that's actually really cool. AEW Rise to the Top. Make sure to check that out. Download it to your mobile device. There's so many cool things going on in AEW. And yeah. there's so many cool things happening on this show. And today we are joined by producer, coach, wrestler, extraordinaire, all around human being, Scott Garland. How are you doing, buddy? Good morning. How are you guys? I think it's funny because it's Scott Garland and like at the time of this recording, you guys are actually in like the Garland area. So it's fantastic. Just well-timed. <laughs> yes. I've heard about Garland, Texas my whole life. No growing oh, up. Oh, I bet. Have you really? That's that's an actual thing that's that's been apparent in your life. Yeah. I just always heard it, you know, my travels and whatnot. So it's kind of cool to, to get to go there tonight for the first time. I have to get there early and try to find a picture in front of the sign. Hard Texas. Yeah. <laughs> It's it's a great opportunity to always create like a new profile picture. It's like, oh yeah, Garland. It's That's great. It. Right. Love it. Um, so you've been with AEW for a number of months now. You've even like gone and done a trip of Europe for a bit, which we'll, I'm sure we'll talk to you a bit more about this a little bit later. But how did your uh introduction to AEW start? Like when when were you brought on? When did those conversations happen? So it was kind of out of nowhere. I was uh, I've done a lot in uh, Europe since uh, over the last couple of years wrestling wise. And uh, I was in Europe in July and I got a message from Sanjay Dutt asking if I'd be interested in coming in and trying out the, the co- uh, as a coach and producer. And it was exciting. You know, it kind of came out of nowhere. The only thing was at the time was, like you said, I, I had a five week tour of Europe booked for November. Um, so I did. I started at the end of July and then I, I worked up until uh uh, almost Halloween, and then I left for five weeks, and then I just returned last week. So it's kind of like I started, and I said everything was put on pause, and then I came back. So it's I'm excited now to really get into the groove and really like dive in and start working with people. I like that you say get into the groove because like I feel like you were already there. Now it's like getting back into the groove. That's like it. how do you? Yeah, 
how do you achieve what you are doing and hit back that same level while not being jet lagged? <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> well, that's kind of the exciting part now is because I, I, I feel the same way. Like I was, you know, I was starting to feel like I was in the groove and then I left and it's like almost starting over again. Um, but the, the difference is now is, uh, you know, it's only five weeks away. And when I came in the first time, there was a lot of people I'd never met before. The box, you know, uh, Hagman Page, even like Kenny Omega. Coaching and producing, I, I always say the, the biggest part of it is creating a relationship with, with your talent. You know, you can't start giving critiques or advice until you can, but I think you need that relationship first. You need their trust. You need to know them to realize that you're not just an old guy going, you can't do that because that's not how we used to do it, you know, um, and talking to them that way. You have to have that relationship and, re- and, and, and let them realize or make them realize that we're all striving for the same goals and that's for them to get, get bigger, you know, and, and better. You know, it was interesting to me when you first walked into to AEW and I remember the day you showed up and we had a little bit of a conversation and it, it was the day of a battle Royal, if I remember correctly. So it was like, <laughs> yeah, it was nobody in New York. Yeah. Yeah. So that was, that's always an interesting day to get started uh, in our company because chaos. Yeah, because, you know, you're dealing with so many. It's not just having to deal with all these new names, but you're having to deal with all these names at once. Right. Already, I could see it being a bit daunting. But we had a little bit of a conversation. One of the things you mentioned to me was that you're coming into a new place, having worked roughly in the same place for the better part of two decades. Yeah, I I started with WWE when I was still WWF. (laughs) <laughs> you know, in 1991 as an extra. And then I signed in 97 and I never, never went anywhere else. I left for 10 years, but I never went to TNA, never went to, you know, I know I was never WCW guy, never any other company. So it, it was very, actually, it was very overwhelming and strange to come into a new place where, you know, Albany, you, you're talking about Albany, you know, where I wrestled a ton of times over the years, a building, but I hadn't been there for I don't know, maybe 15 years, probably longer than that, maybe closer to 20 years. I know that that is the building that in 2003, after my neck surgery, that's the building that I came back in uh, with Rikishi um, as a tag team. I remember that. It was a SmackDown. Yeah, I, I remember that. Yeah, so that's why I returned. So to go into these buildings, you know, on top of what we already talked about, meeting all these new people and production people, but then there's also people I haven't seen for 20 years that I know that I worked with at WWE. It was very, it was very surreal. It's still very surreal at times. You know, it's very, very, very exciting and cool opportunity for me. Is there anyone that you've run into that you were surprised to see that maybe you weren't expecting? I mean, a ton of the production guys I didn't know were here. Of course, you know, as you see the talent on TV, you know, Matt and Jeff and Jericho and Christian and, and Adam, all those guys that I knew, you know, they, they work here. But it's more of the production guys that I didn't know were here. You know, Raphael I knew was here. Adam Hopkins is here. Um, and I've known those guys for, you know, I was practically a kid when I met those guys. It's just been very, very cool. I didn't want to talk about your start as a coach. Um, you started at the Performance Center in 2016. You, you came into AEW with, with a lot of experience at this by this point. But, you know, it was coaching at the Performance Center and, and not so much um, coaching on the road. How did you find that getting into that balance? I think it's easier for me to coach by watching them work in front of a live audience. So much of what I do is is moments and character stuff and the psychology and the storytelling. I always say any monkey can do the moves with any athletic ability can go out and do the moves. And when I was younger, 
I thought that's what it was about. I was taking private gymnastics lessons as a teenager to learn how to do a moonsault because I thought this is going to catch somebody's eye and they're going to hire me and give me millions of dollars because I, (laughs) and then, you know, for a long time, I thought it was about the moves and it's really about creating moments. So if I can see them perform in front of an audience, it's, it's easier for me to critique them rather than being in a, you know, in a training facility where you're teaching, you can teach, but I think I'm more valuable as a coach to teach watching them in front of an audience. So one of the things that I love is anytime you have someone new working with a coach and then the next time someone else in the locker room gets to work with that coach, like, hey, what was it like working with Scotty? And it's like, oh, Scotty's great. And it's just like immediately that impression you make with the talent. And then it just adds that little like, like, as you said, there's so many people here that you don't have experience with that even though you may not have an existing relationship, your reputation is already like fantastic. So people that haven't had a chance to work with you yet are excited and looking forward to working with you. And it's awesome. I'm curious, like knowing that you kind of, you focus on the story and the moments, how do you sort of balance giving that feedback as a coach with all of this live event experience with allowing the talent to be their creative selves? Oh, I absolutely want them to be themselves. That's what you want. You know, I try to um, emphasize what makes wrestling so cool is the different characters, the different personalities. You know, I would say like, I didn't realize um, how important Dean Malenko was to me until I started over the last couple of years when I started really doing seminars and talking more about it. Like, Dean was the man of a thousand holes and he never smiled and he was serious. He was a great technical wrestler. <laughs> And you have me who comes out and I'm just smiling and jumping around, being an idiot with all these bright colors on, laughing, having fun, hitting the worm. Doesn't really even care if he wins or loses as long as he has a good time. So when you have a guy like Dean Malenko across the ring from you, that makes both guys. Because now I have somebody to play off and he has somebody to play off. And, you know, it's cool if you have two great technical wrestlers and they can go at it with each other or two guys like me who do what I do, who who go at it. But when you have opposite characters and you and they mesh, and you see the magic that happens. That's what's so cool, I think. I have to say, by the way, because this is one of those things I bring up constantly, but Backlash 2000 is like yeah. one of my favorite pay-per-views of all time. Yeah, yeah. One of the underrated gems of that pay-per-view is you and Dean Malenko. It's great that you brought that up. It also cracks me up, having known Dean Malenko these last few months, the idea of him even being serious pro wrestler oh. sounds absurd now because Dean's like oh. the funniest person I know, right? And like, yeah, he's awesome. <laughs> yeah, a story that I tell a lot is uh, I could I worked with Dean so many times. I mean, by the time that Backlash pay per view happened, I mean we had wrestled so many live events and so many you know Shotgun Saturday Night, Sunday Night Heat, so many times to it where the point where it almost became a running joke between us, you know. I can remember being in Hershey, Pennsylvania, and I hit him with the bulldog, you know, and he's laying there for the worm. And I look down and he's pretending he's smoking a cigarette, looking up at me. (laughs) That's Dean. Like, if you know Dean, you know that story's true, right? So it's, but it is. 100%. He's he's so dry and so funny. And just, I mean, again, like, and I had this conversation with him. I was like, dude, I I want, I wanted him to know that I realized it took 20 years for me to realize how important he was to my career. Um, And I always loved him and I always, you know, and I always respected him and his work and and all that stuff, but I didn't realize how important he was to me getting over and how important he was to my career at the time. So what's it like being in a place where, you know, you get to work with Dean Malenko again, but in this completely different role? 
Awesome. Again, you know, this whole thing came out of nowhere. It's uh, it's exciting. It's it's cool. It's you know to to be there with him and you know and and be there with like I said the Hardys and Adam and and Jay and 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 you know see Jericho and and like all these guys that I was on the road 250 days a year with you know 20 years ago who I didn't think I'd really ever work with in a full time job again and now here I am and then you add on all of these other people that I'm getting to meet and young people who are hungry to get over and learn and, and, and get established. It's such a cool opportunity, you know. There's so much more to your career, and we're going to get to talk about all of that and much more right here when AEW Unrestricted continues. Angie has made it easier than ever to hire high-quality pros to get all your home service jobs done well. Whether it's routine maintenance and emergency repair or a dream project, Angie lets you compare quotes from multiple local pros, browse homeowner reviews, and even book a service instantly. Angie's been connecting people with skilled pros for nearly 30 years. So the next time you have a home project, bring it to Angie to get your job done well. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. AEW Unrestricted. We're here talking with Scott Garland. Uh, you may know him formerly as Scotty Tupati. He was also Scott Taylor at one point. And I wanted to bring that up because a, one of the things that, that gets me is people that have known your career have you know, mostly come to you for Scotty Tupati. That was right. probably the biggest portion of your career. That you were an extremely hot act at, at that point. But I, it cracks me up that Tony Khan, our boss, was such a big Scott Taylor fan that, you know, I I was there for that conversation and he talks about how much he loved too much, um, which was uh, a very too much is an act. I remember a lot from like watching shotgun Saturday night, watching even Sunday night heat in those days, you know, in those periods before, you know, too cool really took off and became this, this hot act. But do you ever hear much about too much other than when Tony brings it up? (laughs) <laughs> yeah, it's funny because uh, that was like really the first thing that I ever felt creatively that they had something for me, you know, because I signed to Scott Taylor in 97 for the light heavyweight uh, tournament and then just kind of floundered for about a year and a half. And then for whatever reason, we were thro- Brian and I, Brian Christopher and I were thrown together at WrestleMania 14 in a tag team battle royal. I would, And at the time, dude, I was sitting home and then like on a Wednesday, I got a phone call saying that they needed me for WrestleMania weekend in Boston. And I was going to be in this tag team battle Royal and I was going to do the, um, the DX workout thing that they did with Tyson and DX outside at, at, uh, at city hall. So in which ended up being a really cool thing, but Brian and I together made no sense. I was, I was a baby face up to that point. Brian was a heel up to that point. We had wrestled each other a million times and all of a sudden we're just thrown into this battle Royal. What happened was that day I go to get a coffee in catering at WrestleMania, you know, when I tell the story or the way I remember it was like there was nobody else in the room. And you know how big the catering rooms are. Like there's, there's and I'm sure it wasn't like it's massive the way I remember it, but like there was nobody else in the room. And I go to get a coffee and like a, all the lights go out and a spotlight shines down on me. And I feel somebody to my left and I look and it's Vince McMahon, you know, and he's getting a coffee at the same time. And I said, you know, I said, thank you, sir, for putting me on the, you know, WrestleMania. It's, you know, a huge huge moment for me and blah 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 and and i said i don't know if you know this but and i know he didn't know this but 
I used to wrestle as Scott Too Hot Taylor on the independence for a, while, a little while. And uh, Brian, you know, of course, at the time was too sexy, Brian Christopher. And, you know, you, I know you guys, you have us in the Battle Royal tonight. I don't know if there's anything to it. And he said, hmm, let, you know, let me think about that. And then next week, show up at TV and we're too much and I'm too hot. He's too sexy. And we're off. And dude, like, you just think like, that's what I say. Like, you can put all the work in, but you need that right time, right place, right moment. And that's what I, I try to emphasize in my seminars. Like, outwork everybody else and be prepared for that moment. And that moment right there, that might have changed everything for me. You know, yeah, we only became too much, which we had a short run with, but that eventually led to too cool, you know, and it just like everything snowballs, but you have to be prepared for that moment, you know. You can you can plan for anything in the world, but it's the combination of being ready for whatever, capitalizing on a moment, and then the crowd just believing in it and wanting more of it. That's it. Wrestling is so cool. I love it. Yep. You had mentioned briefly seminars, and we talked about this a little bit last segment, but in November and December, you did a tour of nine countries, 16 shows, seven seminars over 37 days. On top of this, you put the tour together yourself, marketing yeah. and social media. So how how does this all come together? Like and to book all of my own travel, by the way. You which is ridiculous, dude. Yeah. Like you it's like you're a masochist. So like I'm a control freak is what I am. <laughs> <laughs> ah, that's why we get along. <laughs> So uh, back to building relationships, you know, this five weeks, you know, and I've, it's, I think it was my sixth or seventh tour over, over Europe, you know, in the last two years, it was about, you know, building those relationships over the last couple of years. You know, there were promoters I went back for, there were, there were wrestlers that I, I wrestled on pr previous tours that have schools and they wanted me to come back and do seminars. And that's, that's why you always have to be cool to, you know, be cool to everybody, build relationships. You never know, you know, what it's going to lead to or anybody's going to be down the road. Right. So, and that's what it was. It was just building those relationships over the last couple of years. And, and I'll be honest with you guys. And I, and I, and I emphasize this in my seminars, like using your social media to promote yourself is so important. There have been tours that I've started to put together for Europe where I didn't have a single date booked yet, but I will put out a 30 second video, like a highlight of my entrances. And, you know, I'll say the worm returns to, you know, Europe or, or England in July. And I literally don't have a single show booked yet. Don't tell anybody this, right? But I don't have a single <laughs> show. Oh, yeah, nobody's listening. Don't worry about nobody, it. Nobody, nobody at all. But by me doing that, <laughs> promoters will start contacting and then I start building off from that. And you know, then it becomes a logistics thing. Can I make it from here to here on the next day? And, you know, do I want to go that far the next day? There's, you know, and there's been times where I go, oh, I overbooked myself and it's almost impossible to make. This is the last tour I went from Nuremberg, Germany uh, on a Saturday night to Plymouth, England on a Sunday for a five o'clock show. And there was literally only one flight that could get me there in time. And then even when I did get to England, it was another three-hour train ride. So, and I was getting there like literally right before the show. So, I'm not a. I have a love-hate relationship with social media. I think we all do. A lot of love, negative stuff out there and um, unnecessary negative stuff out there. But you can use it to promote yourself, and you should use it to promote yourself. Whether you're with a major company or you're an independent wrestler, I believe in that. You know, uh, how do you feel like? Your experience giving these seminars um, compares to anybody I talk to who's in a training position gives a lot to the business what they wish they kind of had. How do you compare um, this experience that you're giving to young upstart professional wrestlers to your experience coming up at that time? 
I always tell them, like, I'll start my, se- usually I'll start my seminars by saying, all right, who's the youngest one here? Mm. What do you weigh? And then I'll say, okay, you know, this dude's 17 years old, 18 years old, you know, and he's, you know, 170 pounds. I'll say, okay, I was 15 years old when I started this. I never had one of these. And I'm usually sitting on the ring and I'll talk, you know, that's how I start with them. And I'll say, I never had one of these when I started, never had a school and I was never properly trained. So if I can go and do what I've done, there's nobody that can tell you that you can't do this. If they're 150 pounds and 14 years old, 15 years old, I don't care. I had Pete Dunn could have come to a seminar. My very first seminar I ever taught in Birmingham, England, Pete Dunn came at 12 years old. You know, and I didn't know this until he came to the performance center and he told me the story. And like to me, that's so cool. You know, like here you have a guy who was 12 years old and he remembered stuff that I had told him in the seminar that he applied, you know, that helped him in his career. To me, that's awesome. And it, it, it is different than, you know, doing a seminar, I think, is, is different than coaching somebody at, at AEW or, or WWE. They're already within the company. When I'm talking to the people in seminars, it's more how do you get noticed by one of these companies or how do you get to one of these companies? How do you make a full-time living doing this? So it is different. I'm going to kind of go off on an old guy rant here for a second. Oh, please, please. It's not that old, but it's, uh, it's, it's baffling to me the number of talent on the shows that don't come to the seminars two hours before the show starts. Um, it's most, it's not all the time, but a majority of the time, it's more of the newer people who are just starting to hit the ropes or take bumps. It's, and then, you know, two hours later, there's the shows roll around and people start walking in the door. And I'm just like, how can you not take advantage of this? Even if you weren't a fan of the character that I played on television or my style, I was still a 15-year-old kid from a small town in Maine who made it to the very top. Not only did I do what I did as talent, you know, went and got over, I also went and coached for WWE for six years and produced for WWE for six years. And now, every Wednesday night, I sit beside Tony Khan I'm a connection. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? I may yeah. not be able to help you get a job. I'm not saying, hey, I can get you a job. I'm not saying that. What I'm saying is back to building relationships. Why wouldn't you take that opportunity to come to a seminar, take advantage of making a connection? You can do all the flips and all of the, the bumps and all of the moves that you want, but unless you have those connections, it doesn't mean anything. You can be the greatest in the world, what you do in a ring, but unless you have those connections, nobody's going to come knock on your door and say, hey, would you like a job with AEW or WWE? That's not how it works, right? So no. like, why wouldn't you make take advantage of, of showing up two hours early and talking to somebody who's been there? It's, it's a bit baffling to me. It, and it's not just one place. It's, it's, it's international. So, And I've asked people about it. I don't know if there's this mentality that, you know, oh, it makes you a mark if you go and take a, you know, I don't, I wish I had that. For example, I, I always say like, I, I can remember older guys, you know, the veterans telling me, oh, you got to slow down. They would tell me to slow down, but they wouldn't tell me exactly what they meant by slowing down. So in my head, I'm going, do I need to slow down hitting the ropes? Am I running too fast? No, it's slowing down means you have to slow your story down and spoon feed your story to the audience and make moments. And that's that's what people are going to remember 20 years later is the moments, you know, so and that's I, I. It's just baffling to me that more people don't take advantage of it. It's also interesting that I don't think people kind of treat it in the perspective of like, 
I took it from when I was dancing ballet for so long. Anytime we had a guest teacher come in, the way they explain things, even if it's the same concept, is different. And something may click differently, right? Absolutely. If you are a wrestler, it doesn't matter if you've been wrestling for like six months, a year, five years, whatever. Someone coming in, they may like 95% of the time, they're just teaching shit you already know. Right. And it's already in the back of your hand. But that last 5% is like, oh, yes. this is the thing that clicks. Like you don't know when that moment's going to happen. So why rob yourself of that? And when, as a coach, when you see that light bulb go off, when you finally get that message through, that's that's the magic of, of coaching, right? And, you know, and that's what like being at the performance center, there's eight different coaches, you know, Sean Michaels, Matt Bloom, Terry Taylor, me, Steve Carino, Norman Smiley, Robbie Brooks, guys who have accomplished tons of this but you'll have them say it eight different ways at the core of it everybody's saying the same thing but it's just trying to reach through and make them you know understand the message absolutely absolutely but until they experience it for themselves it's it's hard to get through right exactly oh my god there's so much more to talk about we only have one more segment here on aew unrestricted AEW Unrestricted, Aubrey, Will, Scotty. This is great and amazing and awesome. And I think the more and more I talk with Scotty, the more I'm like, okay, I'm so happy he's here. Because I think you and I kind of have a similar outlook on things. And it was very eye-opening when uh, we were talking about, because you mentioned earlier, like social media, like we all have a love-hate relationship with it. Right. And we were talking this last week about social media and you had casually mentioned that like, Oh yeah. Theme park people are just as bad as wrestling fans. And I'm like, hold up. What? Like you just kind of like threw that out there. And then I I realized you are a theme park enthusiast. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I always say everybody's a nerd for something. So I'm an, I'm a theme park nerd, you know, whether it's sports. How, how did that happen? Uh, So I grew up in Maine and Orlando was, was a 24 hour drive from Maine. And you know, when I was a kid, we didn't fly anywhere. So we would save up, my family would save up, and we would drive from Maine to Orlando every couple of years, you know? So it was this huge thing for me as a kid. And then when I was 12, my parents divorced, you know, both were struggling individually, financially. And so I never went again until 1996 as an adult. And it was just, I don't know if it's, you know, there's a huge Disney uh, theme park culture. Oh yeah, you know that as yeah. soon as you fly into MCO, it's like, oh, this is a big yeah. deal. Okay, <laughs> and just a fandom where, like, I have I know stuff about today. <laughs> today's the 50th anniversary of Pirates of the Caribbean opening at Disney World, <laughs> so like I know stuff that I like. You know, people always knock like wrestling fans or or whatever, but it's the same. Everybody is a nerd for something. A lot of people are nerds for sports, you know, and they're not looked at as nerds because it's the cool thing to be a football fan or, or you know, a soccer fan. Or, and it's okay. Like, everybody should be a nerd for something. Like, But that's my passion outside of wrestling is theme parks. And uh, I just, I've been actually been to Disneyland Paris because of being in Europe so much. I've been to Disneyland Paris twice this year. And then I just went to Europa Park, which is the biggest theme park in Europe, which is in uh, Germany. I got to go over there. So on this last trip. So yeah, it's cool. No, it's, uh, uh, and then now both my kids work at Universal Studios. My daughter's a performer and my son is a, uh, he works at Margaritaville restaurant at CityWalk Universal. <laughs> he just got me this hat. My birthday is July 2nd and I just got this house hat last week. So thanks geeks. Yeah. I've been, I've been, I've been, I've been riding him for, for six months about not getting me a birthday present. <laughs> 
Yeah, like the day of my birthday, because oh, I was going to get you that that hat that you wanted, but uh, you know, so I just been writing him and writing him about it. So now we put this on this podcast and really like uh, put him over. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> what exactly are you most enthusiastic about when it comes to the theme park? Is it the aesthetic? Is it the rides? What what exactly appeals to you? I think if I had to dive into it psychology wise, it's probably the escapism. You know, it's just kind of like wrestling. Race wrestling's supposed to be an escapism, and that's why it's like fans don't want to overthink. They want to escape their real life for the two two and a half hours that they come to see us. You know, they pay a, pay a ticket, they come in, they want to forget about the cable bill that's two months late. They want to forget about the negativity of social media. They want to forget about everything that happened with COVID. They just want to have fun and escape, which is the theme park is very similar. Football is very similar. Whatever, whatever that past, you know, video games, whatever it is. You just want to escape for a little bit and just kind of dive into whatever your your nerdism is, I think, you know. But I love the history of the parks and in a well-immersed themed area is cool to me. Like, uh, you know, the, the Harry Potter stuff that Universal just did at Universal or, you know, the stuff that Disney's doing now. Um, it's all of it. I don't know the history of it. I don't know. I'm just a big giant nerd for it. <laughs> <You know? laughs> We're all a nerd for something, dude. What is your favorite theme park food? Ah. Uh, Probably my go-to if I had to pick one that I always go is the uh, different popcorns at Disney in the bags. Actually, I just bought this one here and uh, I went to uh, oh the ones in the lobby. <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> but I do have an apple too. So. <laughs> Balanced breakfast but, uh, right there. No, I went to Gaylord uh, here in Texas and that's uh, something at Dallas last night. Um, just because it's kind of it's kind of very theme park ishy. Every Gaylord resort is very different like ours in orlando is is a florida theme this one is a texas theme and it's very cool so i went over there last night but so i have to go with the popcorn they have all the different flavors at disney so yeah i drove by there uh just yesterday and i it looks so different from the one because obviously the one in colorado is very mountain themed and and i was considering that at that point in time one of the things i wanted to ask you about was in june of 2013 you graduated from Lake Tech Fire Academy in Florida. What made you want to be a firefighter? Yeah. In 2013, I was 39 years old at the time. You know, I'd left WWE. I felt like I'd done everything I was ever going to do there. I was like, what am I going to do for the rest of my life now? You know, so I was working independence and I ran into a friend of mine at Panera. <laughs> Again, timing. Have this conversation, and, and he was about my age, and he, you know, he was a firefighter, and you know, he says, "Yeah, we work twenty four on, forty eight off," and you know, you should look into it. And I thought, man, like I could do, I could do that, you know, and, and do it for twenty years, get a pension, you know, at sixty, and uh, it just seemed like a perfect fit for me. I could still work my independent dates on the weekends, you know, even if I had to go away for a little bit, I could move my shifts around. So. That day I went home, looked up the fire schools, and I found that one, the Lake Lake Tech. Went there, went through fire, went through EMT, spent $4,000. That's why I always tell people, I was really just looking for, for something to spend $4,000 on. <laughs> 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 Graduated, and then I started volunteering. I realized it just wasn't for me. 
it just wasn't for me. It was a lot of sitting around. I felt like waiting for something bad to happen so I could go out and work. And I, after doing this, you guys know, like you kind of get spoiled doing this, right? And, and I love doing what I do now. I love, I've, I, I love it all. It's not just the performing, it's the travel, you know, it's the meeting different people. It's constantly being on the go, getting a rental car, driving 300 miles, getting on plane. You know what I mean? Like maybe not getting on planes anymore, but, and then you go to try to do something else. I just, I never felt it. I, so I volunteered a couple shifts. I always say I never became a firefighter. People ask me about it a lot, though. And I always equate it to, you know, you always have people come up to you and go, oh, I'm a professional wrestler, too. And, like, they're really not professional wrestlers. They went to a training <laughs> school, but they never paid their dues. They never, like, put in the work to become a professional wrestler. So... I don't like to say I was a firefighter because I feel like real firefighters have paid their dues. They go into burning buildings. They show up at car accidents where there's people that have died and little kids that are in bad situations. And, you know, they go through a lot, you know, so I don't ever like to say I was a firefighter for that reason. I respect that. I'm barely a professional wrestler. <laughs> hey, you know what? It, if you get a paycheck from a professional wrestling company, you are a professional wrestler. <laughs> That's what it, we had a we had one of the girls in makeup recently that just like signed a full time contract. She goes, "I finally did it! I signed a full time contract in wrestling." It's like, awesome. however you want to view it, that is what you do. That is how you, how you uh, categorize it. That's it. It's funny that you mentioned like never really feeling like a firefighter, even though you do it, because I feel like. As you mentioned, like we get spoiled by this, right? Like we know there's going to be those moments of thrill, like they're eight o'clock, seven central every Wednesday. Like we're going to have this crazy adrenaline filled moment and you don't want to be hoping for disaster, right? Like ideally, if there are no fires, then you're doing a good job. Right. Or that at least people are doing a good job. The education is out there. So right. yeah, it's sort of one of those, like we can have our low moments in our careers, but we always know there's going to be those upticks. Right. right it's right. nice to be able to plan for those. It's that roller coaster, right? Hey, got to bring it back to theme park somehow. Man. That's it. That's it. It's funny. Cause as you mentioned, like the theme park thing, like there's so many little details that you pick up. And that's the thing that I love about wrestling is just the details that kind of make the whole aesthetic work. Yeah. Sure. It's awesome. Like I totally get how you're into something like that. It's awesome. Sure. There's a lot of familiar music in AEW, right? We, right. you know, when the Hardys come out, um, you know their theme because it, it's an iconic theme, but it's also not owned by any particular wrestling company. Right. I say all that to say that what's funny, uh, peeling back the curtain a little bit, when we got the rights to the Hardys theme, one of the themes that also came along with those was the Too Cool theme music, You Look Fly Today. So yeah. AEW actually does have the rights to that music. Yeah. We're halfway there. <laughs> and so I have been thinking about the Scott Garland moment in AEW a lot. <laughs> Do you foresee that happening? I mean, you know, it was talked about, right? And the idea is exciting to me. I just want, I want it to be for the right reason. I want it to be the right thing. You don't want a cheap pop. No, I don't want the. Che- I, I'm always working for the cheap pop. Yeah, 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 yeah. This is this is the one. <laughs> sure, sure, sure. I, but I think you know what I mean. Like, you don't want it just for that. You want it to mean something. I want it to elevate somebody. I want it to elevate the show. Whether it, you know, create a moment. I don't want it to just be a cold match. If we do it, you know, I don't want to just go out and have a have a match. Uh, it has to be the right 
the right thing. My first job here is to be a coach and producer. I don't want to split my time and be doing both. I feel like it hurts my job as a producer. Um, so if there is the, but if there's the right thing, and like I said, it can make the show better, or if I can help bring somebody up, uh, you know, a young guy, a young girl in a moment, I think that's the way to use it and the way to do it while I can still do my producing thing. I don't want to, I don't really want to be going out there every week and having to be thinking about a match that I'm going to have while I'm trying to produce a live segment on dynamite. And I feel like that would hurt my job as a producer. And, you know, like I said, first, my first job here is to be a, I don't want to be a good producer. I want to be a great producer. You know, I want to be the producer that people want to work with and that they've realized like, I'm helping elevate them. That's where I'm at in my life. I've done everything that I want to do in the ring, really. I was a part of an awesome time in the wrestling business. So, um, you know, nobody can ever take that away from me. I just want, if I do something, to be honest with you, what I've said is, you know, and I don't know that there's any talk of ever doing live events anytime soon at AEW. I think the young talent could really use those reps, even if it was in front of 200 people. You know, in the middle of nowhere, that's what a lot of people need is reps in front of a live audience with an established person who can kind of lead them and show them, okay, it's okay to slow down. It's okay not to have noise right here. That's hard to teach from the back. Uh, Okay, it's okay. They're quiet. We're building towards something, you know, and just teach them the pace, you know. So I think that's where I would be valuable if I was going to do anything in the ring on a regular basis was to to, to get in there with them on live events and save it for that. And or like I said, like a moment or just something. I, I don't really just want to go out there and have matches. I think we got all talk to Raph and just basically be like, dude, you got to bring house shows back because we got to see Scotty in the ring. Like, that's just, (laughs) that's what we got to do. That's what I've learned today. Like, this is a conversation that needs to happen. (laughs) Anyway, Scott, this was absolutely great. I I love having you at work. I've loved the experience of working with you as a producer. I look for, anytime I see your name next to the little coaching thing on a match I'm on, I'm like, yes, this is going to be awesome. Thank you so much. That that means a lot. It really does. You know, and like, I mean, you, you told me that a person the other night and and uh you know i worked with anna Anna jay the other night and she told me you know it's very uh, i get emotional you know because it Mm -hmm. it was i felt like i was coming in here as a wwe guy you know so there's like that you know and maybe it's just in my head but there's that weirdness like am i going to be accepted you know like is there a wall up do i have to break that wall down and like so to have you guys say that to me it does it means a lot to me so thank you it absolutely does thank you so much for joining us today this was an awesome conversation you You can listen to audio episodes of unrestricted every thursday on all of your favorite podcast platforms you can watch the video and see the awesome popcorn that scotty got down in the lobby (laughs) uh mondays on uh, our youtube channel dynamite wednesdays roh thursdays rampage fridays collision saturday we're all over the place almost every day of the week watch this awesome wrestling i am aubrey edwards and will washington with scott garland thank you for listening to aew unrestricted come on throw your hands up let me see you unrestricted got the house now we gonna turn it up